This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki in New Plymouth, thanks to New Zealand On Air. For more local content, search for accessradiotaranaki.com. Tēnā koutou e te whānau. Nau mai haere mai ki te wakawitiwiti kōrero marunga te irirangi ki Welcome to our show, Talking About Seeing, here on Access Radio Taranaki 104.4. Each week, people who don't see and some who don't hear as well are going to talk to each other about what makes their lives tick. We have lots to talk about, so here goes. I'm Geoffrey Aiken, and I'm going to have a conversation with Beverly McCulloch as part of Talking About Seeing, an oral history project for the Alexander Turnbull Library in Wellington, as well as a radio programme on Access Radio Taranaki. Today is the 1st of March 2022, and this recording is being made at Access Radio. Good morning, Bev. Fantastic to be able to have a chat with you. I'm very thrilled to have this opportunity to start off these talking about seeing conversations. And what a wonderful person to be able to talk to first up. I don't know about that, Jeff. Well, you you have an extraordinary story to tell us, Bev. So perhaps we should start at the beginning. Where were you born and when were you born? Not the exact telling, date, but telling the year. my age. Um, I was born in Wellington in April '48. And yeah. you, I think, are the oldest of a number of children in your family. Is that right? Mm-hmm. I'm the oldest of six. Um, Would you be able to tell us a little bit about your parents? Uh, yeah, I don't know them very well. I, I never knew them very well. Um, my mum was 16 when she got pregnant with me. Um, they got married when, yeah, just after Dad was 22. They ended up living at my grandparents' place between Island Bay and Happy Valley in this little gungy basementy thing down the bottom of the house where I hear there were rats used to crawl over the bassinet. So, yeah, that was my beginning. (laughs) But I think that we need to start with what affected your eyesight right at the start, because that was an apparent thing when you were born, presumably. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't don't know when the family found out that I I was near enough to blind. yeah, the first first I can really remember about it was um, going up to Auckland when I was a year and two weeks. Um, I can't remember going up there, but um, <laughs> it was when the <laughs> when the, um, the trains were running um, the steam engines <laughs> in them olden days. Um, so it was an overnight trip to Auckland. Um, to the preschool place for the blind in um, in Remuera. So is that where you have your first memories from the preschool place for the blind in Remuera? Yes, it is. I yes, I. I it was a lovely place. Um, 
there were only 10 children, 10 or 12 children there. We had um, husband and wife. They sort of ran the place with nurses and um, cook and all that sort of thing. It was a really nice home atmosphere. Um, we would go out on trips all together, laying around in the back of a station wagon, as you could do in those days, with a mattress on the on the floor. Um, as I got older, went to kindy, just down the road. That was fun too. Where was the kindy? Kindy. Also in Remuera. In Remuera, just yep, the place was in Victoria Avenue, and kindy was just down the road in Victoria Avenue. So I used to go there. And then after kindy, where did you go to? Well, after after um, when I turned. Um, I would go by taxi to the, the school in Parnell, the blind school there. Um, I, um, I was still going back to Sunrise to live until I was seven. So I um, yeah, did my schooling at the Blind Foundation. Well, at that time it was the Blind Institute or the Institute for the Blind. Bev, can we ask you a little bit more about the eye condition that you were affected by? Yes, well, it was assumed that my mum had been in contact with German measles. She didn't have German measles, but that was the only only thing that they could... It was the only, oh, I would say excuse, answer that they uh, the doctors used, um, it couldn't be traced back at all. I'm the eldest of the six and none of my brothers and sisters have inherited this, this problem. Um, I was born near enough to blind. Uh, I can't remember what it was like with um, hardly any sight. Um, I, yeah, I've in I inherited it and then it's gone down through my family. Um, we were born with congenital cataracts, so um, had eyes operated on. I think I was over a year old when I had my first operation, which um, leaves me with a lot less sight than the way they do it nowadays. Now they operate when the babies are four, four weeks old and um, give them contact lenses straight away, so their sight is much, much better. You have told me in the past that your vision when you were young is pretty much the same as it is now. Yes, it is. After having a few operations, my vision has stayed the same. Um, I did have a, a um, partial cornea graph a couple of years ago, one spot of my eye, the most, <laughs> the most important spot that I look out of. Um, was getting a bit blurry, so I have to thankful to somebody, but I got somebody's um, part of cornea. That was fantastic. I do appreciate it. Um, that helped. It, it still hasn't given me... It's given me the sight that I had before, really, just clearer. 
So Bev, part of this show is trying to help people describe what it is that they see. And I think that's quite a difficult thing for a person like you to describe to people like us who see things differently. Maybe a way of trying to start that is to go through what would be in normal vision. So Bev, my first question for you is, do you see out to the side as well as to the front? Do you have central and peripheral vision? No, I just have central. If I need to see something at the side, I need to do my head. Um, and I also have one eye sees much better than the other. Which eye sees better than the other? My right eye. <laughs> yeah. And the second question that I have for you is, is your colour perception like you would anticipate other people's colour perception is, or is it impaired as well? I think it's better. I, my husband was a panel beater, and I used to say to him sometimes, that paint doesn't look very good, and I could see the, the different um, tone on the paint. So, yes, I think my sight's for colour is better. Well, I know that men don't have the best anyway for colour, um, but everything that I look at is, I'm looking at colour. Colour is what I look for first. Um, yeah. How about night vision? What are you like at night? No, night's fine. I, I think night vision's fine because <laughs> what I see in the daytime is only real close and at night it's close as well, so no, I don't. And you've also told me in the past that you have difficulty with depth perception. Oh, very much so. When I put a cup on the on the table, I have no idea when it's going to catch, touch the table until I hit the table. Um, when I look at curtains, uh, say two metres away, they look striped. And I think nice striped curtains look up close and it's not, it's that they've been gathered together. So, um, yeah, I don't see depth at all. I suppose it's sort of like everything's flat, I suppose. You have a lovely way of saying what is normal vision, and I would love you to repeat that if you can remember what... I don't know what... <laughs> well, what you had said to me in the past is, is normal vision not having to think what you're looking at? Oh, right, yes, because I said to my husband one day when... When you look at something, do you try and work out what it is? And he said, no, when I look at something, I know what it is. And, yeah, it's like that all the time. When I look at, I mean, some things, if you, you walk into a house, you can see it's a chair, but there's something hanging on a hook or something. Is that a raincoat? Is, is it <clears throat> someone standing there? Um, you have to look and think. <laughs> What is it? <laughs> like on the on the footpath, um, not sure if it's a, a person, a car. Um, well, no, we won't say a car. A wheelie bin. Uh, just see the colour and then try and work out what it is. It's like a parked car. I can't see if it's moving. Or, well, a car. I can't see if it's moving or if it's parked. When I went across the road, I. Don't, I can't see that the car's moving. I can't see that it's coming um, closer to me. I can just see the car's there. And that, again, is to do with the depth. 
that I, yeah, I can't work it out. <laughs> Lucky I've got a guide dog. <laughs> but this is the life that you're used to, Bev. It, yeah, it's all I know. So um, I don't know what everybody else sees, really. Um, I mean, it hasn't, it hasn't slowed me down. I've, um, yeah, I've, I've family of four and um, I've always cooked for them, um, never sewn for them, but, but I find sewing boring anyway. I knitted, um, did preserves and always made sweets for the sweet school, school's fairs and cakes and all that sort of thing. Um, always on the school committees, all the, the schools the kids went to, I was always there. Uh, had the kids come to, the school kids come to my place for cooking lessons or went to the school and did cooking lessons. I just, yeah, it didn't slow me down. Bev, can I take you back to when you were at school up in Auckland? Mm-hmm. How did you get on in terms of making friends with all the various people at school? Right, well, I had the friends from Sunrise. Um, some of them left Sunrise before me, but we, it was like a family. We sort of, um, you know, we grew up together. And um, we only went home at Christmas, in the Christmas holidays. So, um, you know, most of my time was in Auckland. Um, when I went to the, the main school, Again, I, um, I had my friends from Sunrise and I was into sports, blind sports, but um, I was a real tomboy there. And also when I got older in a singing group, with we had a band and um, yeah, we used to go into, into um, Talent Quest and things like that. So that was fun. And, you know, these people that I went to school with, um, we have conferences and things, and, you know, it's just so nice to see these people that are like brothers and sisters, you know, I've known them all my life. And you still keep in contact with them regularly now? Uh, just for conferences or, yeah, phone calls now and again, yeah. But, but I've got a friend who I've known since I was about four, four and a half, and she started off at Sunrise, and she was only three, and we've kept kept in touch over the years. She came down to Wellington. I was living in Wellington at the time, and she came down to Wellington and ended up marrying one of my husband's mates. So um, yeah, we've been been together all through our children growing up, and now grandchildren. You mentioned about being a tomboy and playing lots of sports. Can you tell us a bit more about the sports that you played? Mm-hmm. Um, we used to play hockey. I loved hockey. Um, I remember one time I got my, my thumb dislocated. Um, we played on asphalt and we had a metal ball with nuts and bolts in it. And we used tea tree sticks. And... Um, yeah, at the school, there were lots of um, older boys that 
started started school later than um, you know the five year olds and came in later, and um, some of them were like 14, 16 year olds playing hockey with a little ten year old, twelve year old. So um, part of the playing hockey was trying to get away from them when they're swinging their stick because <laughs> you got bruised shins and like I said I've got dislocated thumb but it was a lot of fun. Um, we played, we used to play cricket um, and again we used a, a ball with a bell in it and for the wicket we had, we either had a, a metal container that was made specially for the wicket or we used to just use a metal rubbish bin and the person batting would um, hit the the wicket to so the the person bowling could hear where to bowl to. So that was a lot of fun too. I, I enjoyed that, and we always had skipping and things like that. Oh, stilts and hula hoops and uh, roller skates. So <laughs> you know we we did lots of stuff that so-called normal people would do. Tell us a little bit more about the band and... Oh, yeah. Um, some of the men, some of the people after school ages, they, they went and um, carried on and played at dances and stuff. We, we were a group of five girls. I suppose it was around the, you know, the, the 60s music, um, Beverly Brothers, um, you know, Dadu Ron Ron and all those sort of songs. We went um, <clears throat> on a, on a um, radio show called Have a Shot and we got in the semi-finals for that, which we were pretty proud of. Um, I know that afterwards we got a little bit into, into trouble because one of the girls was under 16, <laughs> but never mind. We had a lot of fun, um, and we we had the boys boys backed us with um, you know the guitars and drums and all that sort of oh and saxophone I love the old sax, um, yeah so that was a lot of fun. We used to go into the the gymnasium and practice there at night or in the evenings it would be in the weekends. You've also told me that you were taught Braille when you were at school and that oh, maybe yeah. that yeah something that you have misgivings about now I don't know well I had to learn Braille um, as as the print got smaller like getting into standard one and two I couldn't read it um, I mean it was fine with Janet and John books <laughs> stuff like that where the, the print was large but as it got smaller I um, couldn't read it so I had to learn braille which um, I only used really to read. I wrote, I printed with a, a thick black beauty pencil on um, books with wide lines. Um, when I went to high school when I started at Epson Girls, I had all my braille books and then a good magnifier came around. They came into the country and I 
started using one of those and that was the end of my braille. Um, it was just, it's just so heavy taking all your books to school and taking them home and you'd have to, like for one textbook, you'd have about five braille books. You'd have to have a big suitcase full. Um, the only way I read braille now is I, <laughs> if I have to read it, I use a magnifying glass. I don't use my fingers. I'm, I suppose my old fingers are um, not used to it anymore. I can't imagine how anybody does braille. Every time I try and feel, I think my fingers are far too big for the job. <laughs> so I'm sure it's something you have to learn when you're young for it to be. Well, no, oldies, oldies can do learn. it too. Yes, it just, yes, it's just, um, just learning to, yeah. I think I would the, be the learning touch. for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Viv, what was it like going back to see your family at Christmas? Um, it was, it was, it, we all got excited about going home. Um, end of the year, especially after the concerts and everything, we'd organise things and have a midnight feast and stuff, and then um, we'd go home. And um, I didn't know my brothers and sisters. Um, I didn't know my parents. All I really wanted to do was go back to be with my friends. It was really hard, and it was hard for my brothers and sisters too because they they didn't know me. Um, I um, yeah, I, I enjoyed. We at the time we were living in Tutahi Bay, <clears throat> and I enjoyed the Christmas holidays going. We'd go down to the beach and um, we'd just get dressed in our swimming togs and mum would whistle from the bank at night when she wanted us to come home for dinner. So um, we just spent our days at the beach. But yeah, it was really hard. And when um, we went to the main school, <coughs> excuse me, when um, I was seven, from then on we went home for the May and August and Christmas holidays and it was a bit better. I got to know them a little bit better, but yeah, I still just didn't didn't really know them, didn't really feel at home. Um, I remember one time my dad said to me, you never cuddle and kiss me. And I would have just, I, I know I just would have smiled or said nothing because I'm pretty shy. Um, <clears throat> and I've thought about it since and no, I never cuddled and kissed because as a child, I can't remember being cuddled and kissed. And um, I suppose at boarding school, the staff, I suppose, weren't really, um, I don't, want, don't know what I'll say, allowed or um, didn't do that sort of thing. And um, even now I find it, well, with my husband at first, I found it really, really hard. Um, I still don't, I'm still not a really cuddly, kissy person. I pat and um, stroke, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's something that I'm, yeah, wary of. I, I work on it because it's, I mean, people, cuddle and kiss more days than they used to, I think, I reckon. 
you know, friends. When friends give you a hug and that, I, yeah, I work hard at hugging back and... <laughs> how, how did you used to travel up and down to Wellington to see the family from Auckland? Oh, we flew, yeah, we, um, we went, yeah, at the time, NUC, uh, NAC and um, yeah, the old Decaturs and then the friendships, so we knew all the aeroplanes. That would have been a bit exciting. Not really. Not really. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> no, because no, it was just something that happened all the time. It wasn't anything new. Um, but, yeah. So as your school years went on, <clears throat> did you get a feel for where you were, what you were going to do after school? What was... I knew what I plan? wanted to do, but um, I didn't know how I could do it. I, um, yeah, I... I love animals, um, always have. We had a cat at sunrise and we had a dog that used to visit to me over the fence. He used to come over with a sloppy tennis ball and we'd throw that around. Um, so I, I wanted to work with dogs. Um, at the time, when I was sort of thinking around about that, it was, um, we'd moved out to Homai by then and um, they were talking about the guide dog school and I sort of thought that would be really great but um, it hadn't started being built or anything so that yeah, came out, I couldn't do it. But um, yeah, in the end I, I ended up working at Kodak in the darkroom and um, they had to get the labour department in one time because I was beating the machine and got my fingers jammed and that was because I was didn't need to see to do the work and I was working fast so um, yeah so was that after you had left school after I left school yeah yeah up in Auckland in Auckland I went back down to Wellington to home I only lived there um, for about six months I didn't know the family, I wasn't really happy, so I went out boarding for a bit, and then I um, went flatting with another uh, blind, well, I suppose, I'd say girl, but I suppose we were just about women by then, um, and we went flatting together, so um, yeah, that was good, just going to do our normal thing, like other kids. Do you think you've found it easier to get on with people who have a problem with their vision compared with other people? Or is that wrong thinking on my side? No, I, no, I, I get on well, yeah. No, I, no I, don't, I don't sort of have sight into the... <clears throat> into the... Um, my friendships or anything, lack of sight or sight. <laughs> I guess I'm really asking you how easy it is for you to make new acquaintances and talk oh, to people. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's really hard. Um, even as a kid, you know, when you when you want boyfriends and things like that, um, because you don't see any smiles, facial expressions. I, d I don't understand any of that body language. 
Um, I don't... I've just started listening to audio described on the TV now and I've found it really interesting the amount of stuff that people pick up just from gestures gestures and um, frowns and I've never seen a frown I don't know what a frown looks like Um, I hear of twinkling eyes I've no idea what how eyes twinkle I mean I don't even see eyes Um, my son when he was little he used to come up real close and poke his tongue out at me just so I knew he'd done it he thought that was real smart otherwise it was a waste of time doing it yeah, so when I, you know, when I, when it was the time of wanting to meet boys and all that sort of thing, you know, you couldn't, um, well, what I imagine others did was smile across the room and all that sort of thing. Well, yeah, I could never do that. Um, first, I noticed about my husband was he had lovely, shiny blonde hair, but I mean, I was real close to him before I saw that, that, that attracted me. Husky voice that attract me um, when I meet people. Um, m- my nose is always working, mm. and I say to people sometimes, and I think afterwards that's a bit silly. Um, I'll say, mm, "You smell nice," you know, even to like a plumber or something. <laughs> um, not being, not just being, well, I suppose some people would say, you look nice, or you've got a nice shirt on today. Well, I said, hmm, you smell nice. <laughs> um, you know, I have to use my other senses because I don't, I don't pick up on any signals. Uh, that so-called sighted people, well, I hear sighted people pick up on you know, I, have to I think we're both a little bit in the dark about the intricacies of what I refer to as social vision. How we communicate with each other socially is a bit of a mystery to me, but I think even more of a mystery to you. Yes, and that's why um, when I, you know, when I um, talk to visually impaired people and that, I will um, often put my hand on the arm or. Um, just, you know, so I'm in contact with you, Um, I'm talking to you. Um, Yeah, it's it's like when when I go to a meeting um, and I go there on my own, my husband used to, we used to do a drive-by the day before or sometime the weekend, to tell me where the door is and what the door looked like so I could get in there without making a, a twit of myself. Um, and w- yeah, when I go to a meeting, if I've got my guide dog, it makes it oh so much easier because people come over and talk to the dog and then they'll talk to me and then I become part of the meeting. Otherwise, I would just walk in and um, sort of stand around and yeah, sit down when we have our meeting and have my say if I think I need to have something to say and then leave. Um, it can be lonely 
just going to a meeting and being visually impaired. And um, I mean, even with a cane, people don't come and talk to your cane, but if you've got a guide dog, it's such an opener. It's, you know, it's great. It, I'm just, at the moment, I'm just waiting for another one. Poor old Niles is um, semi-retired and he's 11 and a half. So it's been hard not going for long walks and things. It's too old. Have you made any progress on getting a replacement for Niles? No, the waiting list is about two years. Um, there's so many people. I know that people who have had a guide dog are higher in the list than new people, but um, yeah, just got to wait and see what happens. It's It could be ages. I just hear they've had some new puppies. Well, um, about last October, I suppose it was. Um, Labradoodles, and I thought that might be quite nice. Um, so that would be about 18 months before they'd be ready. The poor old girl had um, 14, so four of them were sent down to the police college down in Wellington to to be fostered by the, one of their dogs down there who, who had only one pup. So, yeah, I that would be quite quite good if I could get a labradoodle or something different, but Niles is a lab, and I'm, you know, I'm happy with a lab. I'm happy with any, any dog, really, but it's got to be big um, because my balance is not very good, and that's, that's to do with vision and I think my age as well. And also, I need a light-coloured dog. I can't see a black dog when it's in the distance. Um, my sight is not... I, I can see, I, you know, like... I recognise people in a meeting and things by their clothes. Um, when I've been introduced, I try and remember their clothes um, so I can remember their name by that until the next day in the different clothes. Um, I My sight is, I've got about two sixtieths in my good eye and one sixtieth in my bad eye. And that means I can see it one metre, most things that people can see at 60, but I still don't, I don't understand that. I don't think, um, I don't think it's even that good because I'm sure, I imagine that people at 60 metres could see a smile or recognise a person where I, I, yeah, I couldn't even do it at one metre. I couldn't recognise them and I never see a smile. So really the only thing that you can see about people's gestures is what they look like in terms of their whole body, not to do with their expressions on their face. Yeah. Um, Sorry. Go. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I really, it's really the hair is what I, what I sort of... Um, look at and I, I find that really hard because <clears throat> you know nowadays blokes get their hair shaved off 
and I can't tell if it's an old bloke or a young bloke. I don't see wrinkles or whatever, so, but I can see a bald head. <laughs> um, so yeah, I pick up, I pick up age and things like that from hair or um, talking or association. Like I, my neighbour invited me to her fiftieth just recently, and I said, to her, "You're not fifty. I can't believe you're 50. And she's yeah. She said, I am, and I said, well, but you've got really young children. And see, I associated her age with um, the age of her child, children because I, I, don't see, um, I don't see what she looks like. And um, yeah, I'm a late starter, she said. <laughs> um, there's so much we don't pick up, but then there's other things that we pick up um, yeah, by by the people's voices and things like that, you know, and you find out people are pissed off with you the way they're talking, and or you know, <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> I do know what you mean, Bev. Bev, I want to take you back to your relationship with the cane. Hmm, <laughs> the first time. Well, not the first time. When when I was at the, the the school, when I moved into the school away from Sunrise, when we went out in the crocodile, um, we used to have to carry a cane. Or when we went to church, or um, yeah, any anything like that. So <clears throat> the canes that we used to use were those um, shaped like a a shepherd's crook, you know, that sort of cane, and so we'd try and find the shortest one we could, and um, we'd put up our sleeve when we'd left the place, or um, down our coat, or if it was going to church, we'd um, poke them into a, a hedge, and then on the way back we'd pick them up, um, because we didn't want to be seen with them. But it's funny, because looking back, we never learnt how to even the totally blind people never learned how to use a cane properly. Um, you know, I have learned now to use a cane because I went overseas about four years ago and I couldn't take, well, I wouldn't, wouldn't take my dog for five weeks to the UK. Um, so I learned how to use a cane to make me a bit independent. And, um, yeah, it was, it was hard. I mean, it was hard to... Because when I left school, I never used a cane again until um, until <laughs> then, until the, four years ago. Um, it was hard using a guide dog. It was like saying, "Wow, you know, I'm coming out of the closet. I'm a I'm a blind person. I've got a guide dog because I've always tried to tried to look <clears throat> normal." But um, I'm sure I didn't look normal, and yeah, I used to fall over a bit, well, quite a bit, always had holes in the knees of my pants from tripping over on the footpath, but, you know, that's what the guide dog was for. When I got him, I stopped falling over. The, the first one I got was um, 
I think 2005. So, you know, I was pretty old then. I'd been, yeah, falling over all the time. Until then, until I hurt my foot bad and needed an operation, I thought, I need to do something about this. So I had to show people then that I was blind. <laughs> Bev, I always <coughs> admire your flexibility. You're always somebody who finds it very easy to feel things wherever they are. And I take it that that's because your depth perception means that you've required to do that. You've always had to reach out for things to feel where they are. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, it's really hard because, you know, when you want to shake someone's hand, you just really have to put your hand out and hope that they'll grab it or, or aim to their way, but you don't know when you're going to connect. Um, it's up to them. <laughs> um, yeah, with not having depth, it's, it's sort of difficult. But then, you know, it's never worried me. It's never put me down, put me back. You know, I, you just learn around it. That's um, all I know. It's, all, it's the way it is for me. You know, I've um, I've always given myself challenges. Um, you know, being vision impaired hasn't put hasn't made me sit around for me. Um, you know, I've been to outward bound. I've done a tandem parachute jump. I've um, yeah, I've done lots of um, lots of exciting things over the years. I've yeah, I don't. Scary things, they sound like. Well, yeah, scary things, but then sometimes they're not that scary because you can't really see what's happening, so <laughs> they're fun things sometimes. I'd love to do a um, whoops, a black water raft. I think that would be neat. Um, I haven't done a white water one, but I thought it would be really neat going through the caves and that in a raft. Um, that's something I'd like to do. Uh, I don't know if they'd have 74-year-old ladies. Tēnā koutou ku wai wahi ki tēnē kaupapa. Hairi i runga i nā manākitanga. Ka kitiano e te Thanks for listening. Bye for now. This show was first broadcast on Access Radio Taranaki 104.4 FM, thanks to New Zealand On Air.